0: Well, I'm glad, I don't know about you, but I think you're probably in the same boat I am. I'm glad that uh, in America we still celebrate Easter. I'm going to tell you something, you never know anymore the way things have been going and quickly they're trying to kind of silence the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something, I'm glad we live in a country where we still have the First Amendment and we're still permitted to proclaim the Word of God and we don't have to worry about being thrown in jail for that or at least if we are, we got lawyers that can get us out. That's good. (laughs) But uh, I'm telling you, we're moving quick. I just want you to stand at work. I want you to stand in your neighborhoods. I want you to stand in your homes and just stand for Jesus Christ. He's standing today. He's alive and well today. And that's why we're gathered here, aren't we? And uh, we just need to stand for him and keep the name of Christ just, I mean, evident and out there and just in the ear of the, the earshot of the public remind them every day that he is alive and that he is real. Well, turn your Bible if you would to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to go ahead and read this passage and then we're going to take a few minutes to run through this uh, some some thoughts here and try to encourage us in the things of Christ this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 <clears throat> over there in first corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 1 the bible says moreover brethren i declare unto you the gospel which i preached unto you which also ye have received and wherein ye stand but which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory what i preached unto you unless ye have believed in vain for i delivered unto you first of all that which i also received how that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried That he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles. That I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. This grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that... There's no resurrection of the dead. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, and He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. As we gather this morning to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, one cannot forget how valuable and essential the resurrection really is to us today. I mean, the passage we just read expresses this reality. And it forces us to forever remember and to rejoice in the fact that Jesus Christ is no longer dead, but He rose from the dead. I want to lower the bucket into the well this morning. I want to dump it right on into this passage, and I want to draw out two simple thoughts or points. Two simple points. I want to consider, number one, the plan. And then I want to consider the proof. And so this morning, we're going to take a few moments and look at that. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is alive. You know, I've watched a number of shows in the past where somebody took a, maybe a pill or drank some kind of serum. And when they drank that serum, they took that pill, their, their body mimicked death. Their heart rate slowed down to nothing and their, their breathing stopped, virtually stopped. But yet they were still alive. They were just simulating death. I want you to realize today that Jesus Christ literally died and he rose again. He didn't take no pill. He didn't take some kind of sermon. He didn't try to do or fake out the religious leaders of his day or somehow create some kind of false sense of hope for the disciples. No, he died that day on Calvary. And he rose again three days and three nights later. So let's look at the plan and consider the proof this morning. Let's pray. Father, bless us in these next few moments. Be glorified in everything that's said and done. And Lord, for those that are without Christ today in our midst, have yet to settle their eternal salvation. Cannot say beyond a shadow of a doubt that when they die, they'll be in heaven. May you, Father, help them to see their need of Jesus Christ and may they be willing to receive and accept him as their Lord and Savior. And Father, for we who name your name, who already claim to be your children through faith in Christ Jesus, may we be encouraged today from the message. May we be more moved and motivated than ever to take Christ to a world that's without hope. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, the plan. I want to note the blueprint. The blueprint. In our passage, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we find the blueprint. And there we read in verses 1 through 4, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved if ye keep in memory that uh, what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all, here it is now, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. There we have the blueprint of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The blueprint simply outlines three important essential elements. It it outlines the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That is the blueprint for salvation today where you and I live. It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection Somebody can say, well, I think it includes living a good life. I think it has to do with treating others well. I think that getting to heaven has to do with my being a good person. I can't possibly think I'd get to heaven unless I lived good, unless I did right, unless I was kind to others. Let me tell you something. Though it's all good and well, and let me tell you, I think God wants us all to live that way. But I'll say this much. There's not one thing that you or I can do today to escape hell in our own power, and our own strength, by our own wisdom. And in our own might. The only way that you and I can arrive safely on heaven's shore. The only way that we can receive and accept the Lord Jesus Christ is His way. And His way is a blueprint found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verses 1 through 4. It is by means only the death, the burial, and the resurrection. The blueprint. We see the plan. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But then we note the barrier The barrier. In verse 12 of our passage, the Bible simply said, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead. I mean, we're going to stand up here and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we're going to say that he died on a cross, shed his blood, was buried, and three days and three nights later rose from the dead. How say some among you? That there's no resurrection of the dead. You know what he's saying here? The barrier is? The barrier is unbelief. I mean, we have the blueprint, the death, the burial, resurrection. We're told how we can get to heaven, how we can receive God's grace, how we can ultimately become His child, how we can really, uh, ultimately live forever in a place called heaven with Him forever. But what hinders us, what hampers us, what holds us up? What is the barrier that keeps men, keeps women from receiving and accepting Christ? Keeps them from truly trusting the Lord as Savior? Unbelief. Unbelief. It's always the same. A person must receive and accept this truth by faith. Oh, there are some proofs. We'll look at a few things, very basic But may I say, when it's all said and done, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I have every proof that you need. I don't necessarily have the proof you need. But what I do have is the Savior you need. And you only believe Him by faith. He did live 2,000 years ago. He did die on a cross 2,000 years ago. He did rise again the third day, like the Bible says. And may I say today that without Jesus Christ... Without trusting Him, you cannot possibly think you can be reunited in fellowship with Him, and therefore you'll never live with Him forever. And it'll all be because of unbelief. I don't want you to leave here in unbelief. I want you to leave here believing. And that's exactly what Christ wants for you today to be believing. See, even in Paul's day, there were critics. Even in Paul's day, there were skeptics. Even in Paul's day, just a mere 30 years after the death of Jesus Christ, there were those that said, who's Jesus? Did he really rise from the dead? I can't really say that I would believe that. That's amazing to me. You say, well, that's just proof positive that he didn't. And there's 2,000 years between then and today, and you're still here celebrating it. That, to me, is a miracle already. There were a number of leaders that came and that left, were here and then gone through the centuries and through the millenniums. This Jesus still lives, and he still is influential in our culture, our society, and in our lives today. 2,000 years later, think about it for a minute. How in the world is that possible? Let me ask you, when's the last time you thought about well let's see. I'm thinking of a good character here. Some people like to say he wrote the Bible. Shakespeare. There's crazy people out there. Shakespeare, he wrote the Bible. Are you kidding me? There's people that have said he's written portions of the Bible. I whatever. When's the last time? Let me Shakespeare's a pretty popular person as you learned about in school. How how's he influenced your life lately? Come on. How long ago did he live? Wasn't that long ago, was it? And yet he has no influence on you at all, and yet he is one of the most prolific writers that we've even spoken of in schools that everybody learns about Shakespeare. But let me tell you something, he hasn't done one thing for me, he hasn't done one thing for you. We haven't, we didn't get to, there might be a Shakespeare group around the country, maybe a very small group that gets together and celebrates his writings, celebrates his birth and his death, and celebrates the fact that he wrote all the books he did. That's possible, I'll I'll not take that away from you. But let me ask you something, what's he done for America? What's he done for you? We don't have a holiday celebrating Shakespeare. 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived, died, was buried, and rose again. And yet we still remember it. If it was a hoax, if it was a fake, why didn't it just go away like everyone else has? It would make no sense to me. Unbelief, though. It's the barrier, the blueprint. The barrier is unbelief. Here's the bottom line, though. The bottom line. Look at verse 13 and 14 of our passage. First of all, the apostle says this. If Christ is not risen from the dead, we're lame. We're lame, man. You say, whoa, 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 what, what's that? That's a, that's, that's a modern vernacular. It's not supposed to be in the Bible. Well, that was my version. Notice what it says in verse 13 and 14. Wherefore, let him that speaketh... Nope, wrong one. I'm in the wrong chapter. Let me go back to, uh, go to 15 here. Verse 13. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? And your faith is also vain. Vain means empty, useless, futile. Well, I guess the apostles saying basically, you know what? We are wasting our time. Our faith is vain. Therefore, we're wasting our time. That makes us pretty lame. I don't know about you, but I don't like to waste time. I really don't like to waste time. It drives me crazy to start on a project and not have the right tools there. I mean, some of you may know what I'm talking about, but you need that proper tool. That tool helps you to get through the project. It helps it to run smoothly. And then if you don't have it, you're looking everywhere for it. I went looking for a hammer the other day. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine in my house not one hammer? How is that possible? Can I tell you how it's possible? Four children. That's how it's possible. Yeah, trust me, I had three hammers. And now I only have zero. I don't know where they went. My wife says, would you please hang this on the wall for me? Will you take care of this? I was like a good husband should be. Yes, dear. I got to it at least eight months later. So I decide I'm going to go there and hang that picture on that wall. And then I go out there. I'm I'm looking all over. I find some nails. I find everything I need. I go in and I'm thinking, now where's that hammer at him? I went back out. I'm looking through my all my toolboxes. I'm looking through... On all my, all my, my, my workbench, I'm looking underneath it. I'm looking everywhere I can possibly think. I'm going through, honey, do you know where the hammer is? Do you, know, do you know where the hammer is? I'm always asking Sherry for things. Do you know where the hammer is? She says, I don't know where the hammer is. Why would I know where the hammer is? I said, I don't know. Am I supposed to know? Because obviously I don't. I couldn't find a hammer in the house. My son had to bring a tool bag home from church that had one in it. Because I didn't even have one at home. I can't stand wasting time. I hate wasting time. And the Apostle's saying this, If Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, I am wasting my time preaching the gospel. And you are wasting your time believing it. So we're just downright lame if that's the case. But look at this, it gets even worse. Verse 15, he goes on to say this, Yea, I mean if Christ is not risen, Yea, we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ whom He raised not up if so be that the dead rise not. Do you know what he's saying? He says, listen, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, we're liars. We're liars. Well, I didn't say it. He did. He said, yea, we are all found false Witnesses of God. False witnesses. That means you lie when you're a false witness. Paul the Apostle says, listen, if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead and I'm up here preaching that he did, then that makes me a liar today. Man, I like that kind of candid speaking. I like that he's so open about it. I I mean, I got to believe that he believed what he was preaching. And he told those folks, listen, if you're believing, you're believing a lie. If I'm preaching a lie, you're believing it. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And may I say today, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then guess what? We are believing a lie today. Also notice this, verse 16 through 18, he goes on to say, it gets even worse. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised? That's pretty profound. I mean, if the dead rise not, then Christ is not raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. What's he saying? He's saying, now listen. If the message we're preaching is a lie, if the message you're believing is a lie, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, then I want you to understand you're still in your sins. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, sin still has dominion over you. You are still bound by your sin. You are still bound by Satan. And you are still bound to go to hell. And not only that, brethren, he says, sisters in Christ, let me tell you this also. Not only are you in your sin, but those that have gone on before us that we believe were saved, forgiven, and born again are also equally lost and burning in hell today. That's what he says. You say, wow. And by the way, you can use the word H-E-L-L, and it's not a cuss word when you use it in church and you're describing a place. But let me tell you something. It is a cuss word otherwise. Just thought I'd throw that in for you. Just let you know that I'm not cussing. But sadly enough, in our world, it's used all the time as a cuss word and just once again tries to diminish from the reality of it. It is a real place. Just like home is, just like heaven is, just like church is, hell is a real place. We are lame, he says. We are liars. And then finally he said we are lost. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are lost. That's the plan. The blueprint, the barrier, the bottom line. Now let's get to the proof. This is what we want to talk about, right? Let's talk about the proof. First of all, one of the proofs is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Look at you on Matthew chapter 28 real quick. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, we're going to note some characters in the Bible that aren't mentioned too often. And if they are, they're discredited. It's said to have been fabricated, made up, that it's a lie. But notice what it says here in Matthew chapter 28, verse 11. Now, when they were going, some of the watch came into the city. Now, realize that the ladies, these women that had followed Christ, had gone out to the tomb that early morning, in those early morning hours, to see Jesus Christ and to anoint the body of the Lord after three days and three nights when they arrive, things just aren't what they were supposed to be. I mean, that stone that was over the mouth of that tomb was rolled away. And that body that should have been in that grave was gone. And the Bible tells us that The Romans had placed a watch over that tomb. That they'd placed other soldiers there to guard it, to protect it, to keep others from stealing the body of Jesus. And the Bible says now now, when they were going, those ladies, behold, some of the watch came into the city and shewed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. Verse 12, And when they were assembled with the elders, and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night, and stole him away while we slept. And if this come to the governor's ears, we'll persuade him and secure you. So, these soldiers, the Bible says, they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. There was a watch that was placed on that tomb. They were supposed to guard the body. But when that, when that angel came down and rolled that stone away, I mean, something happened. Those people quaked with fear and boom, they passed out. They were out cold. And when they woke up, man, the body was gone. And they thought their life was through. They headed on back into town. They began to rehearse what they had seen, what had transpired, what had taken place. And when they got there, they said, listen, guys, we hear what you're saying. But listen, that body being missing is a problem for us. I want you to say that he didn't just rise from the dead. I want you to not talk about an angel that you saw roll the stone away. I want you to tell everybody you come in contact with that his disciples came, stole the body. And we'll pay you a lot of money to do it. And if the governor, oh, by the way, by the way, they deserve to die. You need to understand that. A Roman soldier, uh, when he was placed to guard something, if it was broken, if that seal was broken on that tomb, if some reason uh, that seal, that, that, that uh, Roman seal was broken, then they themselves paid with their lives. And that's why they were concerned. If the governor hears about this, we are finished. We are through. We are done. Don't you worry about it. We'll fix it with the governor. Just take the money and run. And they did. I'll tell you one of the greatest proofs is an empty tomb. You say, but that's not enough. I know it's not enough. We're not done yet. There's a lot of tombs that are empty today. The empty tomb, number one. Number two. The eyewitnesses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our text up here, we read in chapter 15 verses 5 through 8, and that he was seen of Cephas. Oh, he was buried, he rose again the third day, and he was seen of Cephas, or Peter, then of the twelve... After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain into this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, the apostle says, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. The Apostle Paul says, listen, it wasn't enough that he was seen by a couple of the twelve. He was seen by over 500 at once. Jesus Christ made his presence known. He made his presence felt. He rose again and he was seen by others. As a matter of fact, even on that shore there of the Galilee, he was actually eating broiled fish and having supper with the disciples. I mean, this was a risen Savior. This wasn't some Casper the friendly ghost. It wasn't some spirit that had just somehow came about. No, this was Jesus bodily resurrected. And he was seen of eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses. You remember, uh, not Judas, but you remember doubting Thomas. I won't believe unless I can thrust my hand in his side. I can put my finger in the holes of his hand. I won't believe. Jesus shows up and says, Go ahead, big boy. Go ahead. Get a hold of that once. You'll see that I'm not a spirit. You'll realize that I'm alive. You'll know that I live. So we have the empty tomb. The eyewitnesses. But you know what else? Probably one of the most compelling truths and proofs of all to me is the enduring effect. The enduring effect First of all, we have the testimony of the apostles themselves. You say, what do you mean the testimonies? Well, following the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it wasn't long after that the apostles offered up their own lives. I mean, Stephen, the Bible tells us, we know in chapter 7 of Acts, was stoned. Matthew, he was slain in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. Luke was hanged. Peter and Simeon were crucified. Andrew was tied to a cross. James was beheaded. Philip was crucified in stone. Bartholomew was filleted alive. Thomas was pierced with lances. James the less was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple and then beaten to death with sticks. Jude shot, was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was stoned to death and and Paul was ultimately beheaded. These were the men that claimed to see Jesus Christ. These were the men who preached the risen Savior. These were the men who ultimately laid down their life for what they truly believed. Because if they didn't believe it, I can't believe they were willing to die. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't give my life for something I didn't believe in. And yet these men literally laid down their lives. You say, well, that's still not enough. They must have been fools. They must have been totally uh, enamored with Christ. They must have been overwhelmed with grief. They must have, I know, every excuse in the book. But let me tell you something. I wouldn't have died for anybody or nothing that I didn't truly believe in. Not only that, but not only the testimony of the apostles, but the tenacity of the martyrs. Marcus Aurelius, you've heard of him, I'm sure. He was a Roman emperor. He lived between 160, or ruled between 161 and 180 A.D. He decreed that the property of Christians would be given to those informers who turned them in to the Roman government. As a result of that, a tremendous persecution took place. Thousands and thousands of Christians were martyred, killed for their faith in Christ. The cruelties used in this particular persecution were such that many of the spectators literally shuddered with the horror at the sight of these persecutions and these martyrdoms. They were astonished even at the very courage of these men and women who laid down their lives and who suffered for Jesus Christ. Some of the martyrs were required to pass with their, of course, already wounded feet over thorns, nails, sharp shells or any other number of items as they were placed upward so that when you stepped on them, they literally sunk into the bottoms of their feet. They were scourged until literally their flesh was shredded. And after suffering some of the most excruciating, painful, and horrible tortures, they were killed for their faith in Christ. The Roman Emperor Diocletian, he became Emperor of Rome in the year 284 A.D. It was in 303 A.D. that he initiated the last of the great 10-year persecutions. It was a pagan persecution toward the Christians. It was Rome persecuting Christians or believers. Instead of fighting with his enemies, instead of going to war with the enemy, he literally unleashed war on believers. He used every one of his resources to hunt them down and to destroy believers. In a 10 year rampage, his soldiers killed and imprisoned literally hundreds of thousands of Christians. They burned millions of books about the history of Christianity as well as the history of the world. They destroyed them systematically. This was a lunatic. And he unleashed his fury on Christians. During that time, a man by the name of Romanus, he was a native of Palestine and a deacon of the church of Caesarea. He was condemned for his faith at Antioch. He was scourged, put to the rack, his body torn with hooks, his flesh cut with knives, his face was scarred, his teeth were beaten from their sockets, and his hair was plucked up by the roots. After that, he was ordered to be strangled. It was on November the 17th, 303 A.D. Susanna, the niece of Caius, bishop of Rome, was told that she was going to marry a noble pagan. The emperor Diocletian said, guess what, he's related to me, you're going to marry him. He doesn't believe in Christ and you will marry him. (laughs) She refused the honor. And she was beheaded by the emperor's orders. Agnes, a girl only 13 years of age, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, was beheaded because of her faith in the Lord. 13. In the year 304 A.D., when the persecution reached Spain, Dacian, the governor of Tarragona, ordered Valerius, the bishop, and Vincent, the deacon, to be seized, loaded with irons, and imprisoned. The prisoners were firm in their resolution. They would not yield. They would not recant. Valerios (laughs) was banished, but Vincent wasn't so fortunate. Vincent was racked. His limbs were dislocated. His flesh was torn with hooks. He was laid on a gridiron. Get this now. The gridiron not only had fire placed under it, but spikes at the top, which ran into his flesh. Those torments, those tortures did not kill him. And they didn't change his resolution either. He was reprimanded to prison. He was confined to a very small, lonesome, loathsome, dark dungeon. He was strewed with sharp flints and pieces of broken glass where he died on January the 22nd, 304 A.D. And then his body was thrown into the river. See... You want to talk about proof that Jesus rose from the dead? I have a hard time believing that men and women so far removed from his resurrection are willing to literally lay down their lives for him. You say, but I know of men that do that today for Allah. I know of men and women that do that for other leaders. I understand that. They truly believe what they believe. 2,000 years later, we're not talking about 600 years. We're talking about a Savior, Jesus Christ, recorded, literally lived, died. There are, there are even secular historians who document his existence and who allude to his resurrection. This is nothing new. This is something we have celebrated in America for hundreds of years. And this is something that as believers, we are convinced of. Jesus Christ Christ rose from the dead. The empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, the enduring effect, and finally, the empirical evidence. You say, what do you mean by empirical? Practical. First of all, we have his abiding presence in our life you a child of God today. The Bible says in John 14, verse 16 through 18, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you, the Lord Jesus says. Aren't you glad? Literally, the Word of God says that he abides with us. His presence is with us. He lives Within my heart, the Bible says. In Romans eight fifteen through 17, the apostle says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. If you have Christ living in you, you can't have something, someone so big and not know it. You say, I'm not sure if I'm really a child of God. I don't know for sure if He lives in me. Then let me tell you, you have good reason to doubt. Because if He's in you, there will be a difference. We have Christ today living in us as believers. If indeed you have put your faith and trust in Him. His abiding presence. What about His answered prayer? In Romans 8, 34, because He is with us and because He does live and because He is alive today, He can answer prayer and does. Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. He's not dead. He's at the right hand of the Lord. In Matthew 7, 7, because He's at the right hand of the Lord, He has the ear of God. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. You had a prayer answer lately? That's a resurrected Savior doing the work. Tonight, we're expecting a, a lady, that one of our young men's mom, to be here. She had major heart problems. A number of vows. One literally being replaced. She had multi, uh, you know, bypass surgery, multiple bypass surgeries. The doctors had basically said, we can't do nothing for her. But God had another idea. God's people began to pray and they begin to reach out to that resurrected Christ and say, Lord Jesus, do a miracle in her life that many shall see it in fear and trust in the Lord. That you may use what you do in her life to encourage others to trust and receive you. And let me tell you tonight, she's supposed to be here at our program. And tonight, if you don't have anywhere to be at 6 o'clock, let me encourage you to come on back to Community Baptist where our program will be taking place. The Truth of Easter is the name of it. One of the songs that was just sang already, that's a song that you'll hear tonight. She'll be here. Lord willing, she told me the other day she would. And that's a risen Savior doing doing some mighty powerful work. Answers to prayer. And finally, abiding presence, His answer to prayer, but also His abundant peace. Josh, if you're here, come on up. His abundance... His abundant peace. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 through 7. The Bible says be careful for nothing. But in prayer. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding. Shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You struggle with peace in your life. You find it very difficult to focus in life. You find yourself overwhelmed with problems and difficulties. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ is a God of peace. And He is a risen Savior. And He is alive. And He can bring that peace in your life if you will abide in His presence. I'm glad today that we have a risen Savior. And may I say today, it's good that we have the empty tomb, the eyewitnesses, the enduring effect, and the empirical evidence to prove just that. The Bible says he is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay.
1: I walked by the tomb of Buddha, looked inside and saw his bones, travelled on to see Mohammed still wrapped up. In his grave clothes, then I journey to the garden where old Joseph left him lay. But the precious land, God's only begotten, was no longer. grave if you knew him like i know him you would know that he's alive if you felt him like i feel him Resurrection Deep inside You know He's living And death has died If you're wandering In the darkness Come and step into the light. Nail-scarred hands reach out to help you. To pull you safe from death to life. Friend, I too have stood where you stand could I trust in things unseen but just one step in his direction then in love he ran to me if you knew him Like I know Him You would know that He's alive If you felt Him Like I feel Him Resurrection Deep inside You'd know He's living and death has died you ask me how i know he lives he lives within my heart if you felt him like i feel him Direction deep inside you know he's living and death has died.
0: She made her way to that tomb that morning. And when she got there, the angel said, He is not here, for he's risen like he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. This morning, I want to encourage you to come see the place where the Lord lay. It wasn't that long ago, I took a journey to the tomb. I peeked around the corner and I looked inside. You know what I saw? Nothing. I want you to know that Mary took that same journey. and She looked inside. And Peter took that same journey and so did John. And when they looked inside the tomb... Nobody. Nothing. And this morning I want you to take a trip to the tomb. And I want you to look inside for just a moment. And if it's empty. And you decide whether it's empty or not. Faith says it's empty. God says it's empty. His word says it's empty. I know I do. But if you say it's empty today, you can receive that risen Savior, have your sin washed away, and be a new creature in Christ and live forever with Him. And you too can sing that song that I just sung and mean it from your heart. Do you know Christ today? Have you been to the tomb? Is Christ your Savior and is heaven your home. Father we come to you. We ask Lord that you would bless this short time. Of invitation. That you speak to our hearts. Thank you again Lord for. The simplicity of your word. Father thank you for just your goodness. Lord many have. peeked in that tomb. And found you gone. And have put their faith in you. Today there may be those who have yet to receive and accept you. I pray Lord that before they leave. They would. Have done just that. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Please no one looking. Could you say without a doubt. 100% sure that if I died I'd go to heaven today. If for some reason you would have to hesitate. If for some reason you couldn't say that with confidence. Would you be so bold. So honest today. To allow me to pray for you and say, that's me, preacher. I don't have that settled. I don't know that for sure. Would you be so bold, so brave, so honest to simply lift a hand and let me pray for you? I won't embarrass you. But with a lifting of hands right now, just, preacher, that's me. Pray for me. I can't say for sure. If I died, I'd go to heaven. I don't have that settled today. Yeah, any other hands in the auditorium? Anybody else? Let me pray for you. Quickly, put it up, put it down. That's good. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah. couple. There's hands in the auditorium. Maybe you didn't have the courage even to raise yours. Maybe you're a little embarrassed to You're worried that somebody might see you. I'm going to tell you something today. Jesus Christ wasn't embarrassed of you. He took your place on Calvary. He died in your place. He hung there naked on a cross, willing to pay the price for your sins so that you could live with Him. I want to encourage you in just a few moments to have the courage. When the music begins to play in just a moment to step out in the closest aisle, come see me at the front. I'm going to pray for you right now and ask God to give you the courage. But I want you to know that someone will take the word of God. This is not about what we believe as a church. This is about what God's word says. We'll show you right from the Bible how you can receive and accept Christ by faith. His word, not ours. His. Will you step out in just a moment? Let's pray. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, we gather today. We're asking you to speak to our hearts now. Holy Spirit of God, continue to work and move in the lives of those that have yet to receive Christ. May you give them the very courage they need to recognize that, Father, it, it's all right to step out, that we've all taken that journey to the tomb. We've all taken that journey to the cross, and many have had to take a journey to an altar where we've seen the Word of God for ourselves and put our faith and trust in Jesus. Father, may you give them courage in just a moment. Prick their heart, convict them of sin, and show them their need of Christ and then help them to make the right decision to receive you and accept you, for it's eternally too late. Be with us as believers. May our hearts be in prayer now, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Here we go.